Welcome back to another episode of Inside Access Control, sponsored by SIA. Very excited today to have Michael Gibbs from Global Insights in Professional Security. Michael, thank you very much for taking the time to, to talk to us. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. So um, you and I were connected by a mutual friend uh, when I asked the friend and said, hey, is there anybody that I could talk to about risk in general? Uh, and your name was, was given and, and we've made a connection and talked a little bit about it beforehand. And really excited to dive into uh, the subject because right now, uh, especially when crises happen and people are making decisions uh, and, and really in security as a whole, um, it's a lot of it comes down to the appetite for risk, the management of risk, the impacts of risk, it's risk, 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 <laughs> and uh, how you handle it, what you do with it. So I thought now, um, especially since there seems to be a, a powder keg of, of decision making that's need to be had because people are starting to go back to work and to restaurants and the rest. So there's this desire to, to input some of our technology. And, and I think, you know, access control specifically, but security also is having a moment right now in, in a moment of crisis, but it's it a positive, if you would, because uh, of the mainstream side of what's going on, the added value of health benefits versus just security, all of that good stuff. So um, I want to dive into that with you. Uh, why don't we kick it off, though, with why don't you introduce yourself, your company, your background, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that. Sure, thanks. And all the points you brought up are, are right on. Those are the issues we're facing right now with the risk. Again, my name is Michael Gibbs. I am principal at Global Insights um, in professional security. It's a firm that specializes in developing content, thought leadership strategy for corporate security departments and uh, security companies and security vendors. Before that, for 25 years, I worked for ASIS International. For the last few years of that, I was chief global knowledge and learning officer responsible for everything from the magazine to standards and guidelines, certification and education. And previous to that, I ran the CSO Roundtable, now called the CSO Center for Leadership and Development, which is an organization within ASS for senior executives in security. So the largest uh, CSOs for the largest companies and institutions in the world, ranging from Johnson & Johnson to Accenture to Target. Uh, before that, I was an editor of Security Management Magazine, where I wrote about a thousand articles on all uh, matters of security topics. And before that, I was a freelance journalist and an attorney. So <laughs> I've uh, I've come around. I I was I started out as an attorney. I became a journalist, then a security expert slash association executive. So uh, yeah, quite a interesting background. Yeah. Quite a uh, quite a um, tour I've been taking. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> so, yeah. so why don't we why don't we jump into some of those topics that we that I, I I did on the lead in here? So I mean, maybe if you just summarize your thoughts on what's going on right now, and then we could talk about the the risk aspects of how people could look to manage that or or, or attack it, if you would. Sure. We're facing. I wouldn't say it's unprecedented. We've been through pandemics before. We certainly were through uh, SARS and, and, and others in the past couple of decades, but nothing this significant since the Spanish flu. And we're just not used to uh, everything turning on us at once. The, we can't leave, can't leave our houses. The economy has fallen flat. So many of us have lost our jobs and the unemployment rate is shooting up. And everybody's falling back into a, an extremely risk averse mode. And risk 
isn't per se a bad thing. When you have dynamic risk, anytime you're going to succeed and you want to succeed in business, you've got to accept some risk. Without risk, there's no reward. So what's going to happen uh, during this crisis is the people who uh, learn the facts, see what's going on, where the trends are in, uh, in business and society, are going to be are moving right now. They're developing technologies, they're developing contacts, they're thinking through this, and they are going to uh, prosper greatly by making calculated bets during this time of, of, of high risk. Most everybody else is secluded in their house or sort of waiting this thing to, for this thing to, to go through. And it's causing a lot of stress. In my neighborhood alone, there are all sorts of, on our, we have a local blog where people are in a furious conversation about whether people should wear masks outside or not. Should you wear masks when you're jogging? Should you wear a mask when you're on a bicycle? Should you wear a mask when you're walking your dog? And people are either all in or all out. And on one side, you have people who say, look, I've read all the articles and uh, I'm, a, I'm in the medical field. And I know that the, to get coronavirus, to, to catch COVID, you either have to be subjected to a high viral load for you know in a quick period of time or a lower viral load over a longer period of time so if you're running by somebody who's not wearing a mask there's a very low likelihood you're going to catch coronavirus if someone sneezes in your face there's a much higher um, risk that you're going to get it so on one side of the spectrum you have people who are looking at it that way and the other side of people who say you should wear masks all the time because if you could reduce the risk at all, even if you're 20 feet away from someone, you're wearing a mask and you happen to sneeze or cough or whatever, if you could just reduce the level of risk by 0.1% or whatever, it's, you know, it benefits society. So it's selfish not to wear a mask. And there's a heated argument going on around that. And it's actually dividing the community. Uh, fortunately, you don't see <laughs> fist fights in the street because no one's encountering each other in the street because there's a six foot distance rule. But right. yeah, I'm being I'm being a little bit facetious there, but that's sort of the core of how people are addressing risk. They're completely risk averse and there's a good reason to be because this is a scary, scary time. And there are people who are sort of looking at the facts and say, hey, I'm gonna go about my daily life, but in a in a measured, rational way by reducing the risk as much as possible, but I, I'm not gonna put a mask on while I'm walking the dog when the closest person is you know, 50 feet away in a, in a um, pretty sparsely populated neighborhood, so. Right, yeah, so uh, if, if we apply that to some of the commercial applications that we have and in, in, you know, it, the, the overriding uh, sort of uh, broad statement on that end is that p different people have appetite for different levels of risk and are susceptible to different levels of risk, right? So if I was to look at the commercial spots, so let's take a look at the different stakeholders. And if I was to say, all right, I'm a, a local business, could be an office restaurant, whatever it is. Um, and I know I need to do something um, because of the risk side uh, that's associated to it. There's also the security theater end of it and the rest of it, which is all, all important. But um, what is your suggestion on what do I do? Okay. Well, that's a great question because I was just talking about it yesterday with some companies that need to hire immediately. And, you know, 
uh, grocery stores, um, shipping companies, trucking companies, other ones that are in high demand. And they can't get people fast enough. So what they're doing is hiring on the spot with no background checks. And some say, we're not going to do background checks at all. And others say, we'll do background checks when we can, but we need you. We need to throw bodies in there right now. And you see why they're doing it because they want to, first of all, they, they, they want to make a profit. They want to, they want to produce and sell as much as possible, but they also want to meet public demand and people need more toilet paper. They really need more toilet paper and they're trying to accommodate that. And so we can see that as a, as a public good, but personally, um, I would not hire anyone without a background check or a background check that's appropriate to the level of what they're doing. Certainly if they're in a driving position, you know, you've got to look at their driver records and criminal records and things like that. Uh, maybe less so for, for other areas that you know, aren't, aren't so sensitive, but I would encourage them to, uh, you know, to hold off. I wouldn't take the legal risk uh, because you're going to see, I think a mountain of lawsuits where people who are quickly hired um, turn out to be uh, to be violent or or um, thieves or otherwise do harmful and, and and adversarial things and you know to some extent the government can say all right we're going to waive liability because of these extraordinary times but not in a case where you have somebody who is a convicted felon who murder somebody in a, in a store because they got insulted. You know, that, that's the kind of thing that could, you know, take down a business. It could destroy their reputation. It could bankrupt them. So, I mean, I would recommend as an attorney never to go on the background screen, but a lot of companies are, are deciding otherwise. Gotcha. And think now, about this. Yeah, um, one other, one other uh, facet of that. Say I hire you to work uh, in my grocery store and you're the greatest employee, you know, everyone loves you. And a couple months later, your background screen comes back when they finally have cleared the backlog and the courts are open again. And, oh my God, you have a felony on your record. You're here, a dangerous felon. Now, what do I do? Um, if I fire you, I've already hired you. You've, you've proven yourself to be a good worker. Um, but if I keep you on and uh, do I do, you know, do I do follow-up check? Do I keep, so you're kind of in a, a whipsaw or in a catch-22 where now I know you have, um, you know, a, a violent criminal background. What's my responsibility? Um, but you're also proven to be a good employee. So if I fire you, um, you know, is, is that a violation? You know, you're, you know, because they're now they're banned the box laws, you know, in a lot of states where you can't refuse to hire felons just because they have a criminal background. Uh, and those are known as ban the box laws because on employment applications, there are boxes that say, do you have a criminal background? And now you can't, in about half the state, you can't put that box in there because it's discriminatory. Interesting. So yeah, so the, the words of wisdom on that end are the even through times of sort of the, the pressure cooker side of it, don't lose sight of the um, good process and uh, due diligence uh, to, to when it goes. And I would say whether that's on the hiring end, like you said, it's selecting different technologies that might be there, uh, putting in solutions and 
uh, creating new workflows and that. So taking the time to do that. So if I was to move to the next stakeholder, if you would, uh, that's in that. Um, if I'm a company that's creating product um, for uh, these types of situations, what recommendations do you have on that end? Because I've seen so far a handful of companies, like, there's almost been two, uh, three. So you've got some companies that have pivoted in messaging and that, that are, I would say are moving in the right direction because they're having a moment. You have some that are pivoting uh, in a different direction and they're trying to uh, take advantage of a situation, if you would, through message uh, and it may not be good. And then you have others that aren't doing anything. Um, so um, between between those three, and I guess the fourth is people are just continuing to do what they were doing before uh, because they, they maybe they were on the right track. So if I'm one of those companies, uh, whichever one, um, what is your recommendation? Because there's a pressure cooker as well. So what do you recommend they do? Do you mean security companies or just... Um... Yeah, General manufacturers, uh, maybe an integrator side, really anybody that right now in our space from a professional security standpoint um, that has to respond to the pandemic from from servicing the market, not like what they do with their own business, but like bringing something to market or the way they communicate. Um, that's a risk associated to that as well, right? Uh, that they do it. So um, any recommendations that you have for them on and on maybe how to take a step back and do it properly? Yeah, that's, that's another good question, considering a, a great example of that and people stepping maybe outside their comfort zone is the temperature uh, uh, screening systems. You have a lot of people taking cameras, infrared cameras that weren't necessarily designed to do temperature screening and then they're selling them. But as a matter of fact, um, there are only a few companies that were selling it for that purpose, still thermal cameras for temperature uh, measuring purposes. And now a lot of other companies have gotten in the act and said, so sort of retrofitting the purpose and saying, hey, yeah, we have that too. And you want to be careful with that because sure you want to get in that market and it's a huge market because I've talked to dozens of manufacturers and they've all either put in those systems in their warehouses, in their factories, and, and, and elsewhere in, in their headquarters, uh, or they have uh, sort of ad hoc programs where you know they'll have a nurse at the door or whatever with a handheld thermometer. But they're all looking at the technology right now. So uh, I would be very careful before I jumped into that field. You know, there's potential liability issues. The the cameras aren't necessarily designed for the purpose of detecting very minute uh, differences in body temperature. Really the differences, you know, between if you're 101.4, you're okay. If you're 101.5, you're not okay. So you've got to have, you know, the sensitivity in the camera to, uh, to make that decision. Right now, the, the criteria they use are kind of, they're, they're nebulous. Like no one's really quite sure. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm within 0 0.2 accuracy, 0 0.1 accuracy. It's like, how do we know that? Right now, they seem like just numbers that, that can't be verified. So before getting to that space, um, you really want to, um, you know, I understand what people want to get on the money and, you know, that's where the growth is in a, in a shrinking economy. But, you know, kind of stay in your, your space. And if you want to do something like that, you know, I've seen success with people working with startups that specialize in that technology and they work with them and those are, you know, acquisitions they could make. But yeah, uh, yeah, I would just, I would just tread carefully in those situations. Yeah. 
No, and that's fair. Uh, I think uh, advice to to give a lot of these companies is, you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, the scene in the Matrix when uh, he's going slow and the bullets are going fast by him, right? <laughs> like, like I feel like that we have to figure out our 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 inner matrix on that case with the industry of figuring out how to. And I think this is where it comes back to one of the one of the phase changes that I believe have happened in the industry, especially when uh, you have times like this, is you really really find out who has good leadership versus management. And, mm-hmm. and I think that if anything is having people that have some experience or expertise in or around how to manage risk and how to, you know, this is where I think that even, even the health science side of bringing people in that understand the, the human side of how you, how you break things down and the emotional intelligence side of a lot of this um, is, is an impact. It's, we're a very technical community uh, of people, right? We want to solve this. It's like, who needs a hammer? I got a hammer. <laughs> right. um, and sometimes it might need to be, do we need a hammer versus, you know, to do that? So, well, I appreciate you spending the time to do this. So uh, I, I always like to end with two things. Uh, you know, is there anything that you're looking for uh, right now, especially with your business or personally, or, or, please let us know. Well, I'm always interested in looking at startup opportunities. Um, people come with me, to me with new technologies and to help develop content for them and to make them a thought leader in their space. So I do business development, also content development. Okay. Uh, and I'm working with a couple of companies right now. Um, I also wanted to leave a, um, just with one, one final yeah, comment on please. risk. A lot of times people look at risk and they'll conflate uh, a decision with a result. So you do something like you create a product, you create a temperature protection system, and you go through all the background. You say, okay, here's the market for it. Here's the technology. Here are the people who are going to sell it to. Here's the marketing plan, blah, 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 blah. We've done the test. It's going to do really well. And then it bombs. And then if you ask them, was that a good decision or a bad decision? They'll say it was a bad decision. Well, I would say it was a good risk to take. Uh, it was a good decision. It was a bad result. And people often conflate results with the decision itself. And I would, there's an excellent book that I read a few months ago that talks about this very, um, uh, this, this very phenomenon. It's called um, Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. It's a great book. So I commend that book to uh, anyone who's interested in risk. That's, uh, I love that, that it's funny. It goes back to also this sort of curiosity and experimentation side of, you know, the, I think people get the whole, uh, what is it, the, the, the failing fast and, you know, but whatever, but it's, it, yeah, the, the, the outcome may, may, although it may have been uh, a bad one, doesn't mean it's negative. So I, I love exactly. that. If people want to find out more information from you about you and what you do, where's the best place to do that? You can go to my website, it's www.gipsinsights.com, G-I-P-S, insights.com, or they can email me at mike at gipsinsights.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I'm on that a lot as well. All right. Well, I really, really appreciate you doing this, Mike. Thank you. Um, if you need anything, please let me know and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. It's been a blast.